sermon. It just my introduction. But, uh, you know, sometimes life is hard. Has anybody figured that out beside me? And, and sometimes you think, why did I have to go through that and that? You know, one of these trees has, has a little bit of extra uh, fertilizer, let's say, from an animal. You know what I mean? Everybody? And the women came down, and it was parked out in the front. Uh, and, and the women came down for Bible study a couple of weeks ago, and they were like, what in the world is that smell? They checked out the whole place. It should, it should be in the kitchen, maybe something spoiled and, until they got to the right place and they went, woo! Now, they weren't criticizing the plant. They were just smelling something that helped grow the plant. So this morning, hopefully, we will be able to end service before that aroma takes place in the service. Uh, this morning we continue the series that we're in uh, entitled Destiny by Design and, and talking about that God has a plan for us and it's not just a haphazard plan. The, the, the title of my message today is You're Not an Accident. And, and see, a lot of our minds go to different reasons why that is or why not. But when it comes to God, nobody's an accident. And there is a purpose, a divine purpose, for each one of us. Now, this morning, I, I want us to, to walk through this. And I want you to kind of, you know, if you will, just kind of be a detective for your own self. Listen at that great rain. Oh, the rest of those trees that are hurting are loving it down there on the west end. But this morning, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture as we go through it and be kind of a detective and reason with me. If you're in a place in life that maybe you say, yeah, 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 I know God has a plan for me, but I just don't have a clue what it is. Or, or maybe you're in a time period in your life where you've been to church and you've, you've experienced the revelation of God in your life. I mean, as far as transformation. And you get to the place where you're like, you know, you know I just, I don't feel it anymore. This morning, I want you to realize that we don't go by feelings. We don't go by sight as we sang already. That we're going to go by faith and we're going to use somebody as an example in the Word of God that will apply to us, even though that sometimes we take the people in the Bible as, you know, all this and, and we could never. Oh, yeah. You know, when I when I think about all the, the people that have been on the face of the earth and that God has each one of them in mind. It, it's sometimes hard for us to understand that. Sometimes we think that we're just blending into the woodwork and he doesn't know who we are, where we're at. And that, that can lead to hopelessness in our life. Now, now this morning at the end of this message, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, which again reminds us of our covenant. In other words, covenant is a stronger word than a, a contract. But, but it, it's a covenant that we have with God Almighty of who we are in Him. When we come to know Him, we put our faith in Him, and, and we make the decision to repent of our sins, we're forgiven, and we make Him Lord and Savior of our life. Our, our agreement, which creates in us an identity. Do, do you know that in the world we live in, there can be identity theft? Anybody ever experienced it? I, I experienced it this week on Facebook. Somebody got my mug, you know, my picture, and, and, and they started sending out messages to people that I know, and would you like to be my friend 
acting like I'm some kind of goofball. You're already my friend, but could you be my friend again? And I really felt bad until I got a second friend request from Harvey. And then I started feeling okay. But identity theft can happen when somebody hacks into who you are on the internet or whatever. And can, but God's identity for us can't be hacked. It's something that cannot be stolen. And, and when you look at people throughout history that have come into to exist, and you think, wow, what an impact they have done on the, with so much smaller or so many things less than what we have. Anybody ever heard of the, the lady Helen Keller? Yeah. I, I was reading about her this week, and I, I just was amazed how she was born without being able to see or hear. And in a way, she changed the world for people that have that handicap of being blind and they can't see. I mean, she even really promoted until Braille became the official language of, or able to communicate for the blind. And you look at somebody like Helen Keller and you say, how in the world could you change the world? You didn't have hardly anything. You can't even see people's body language, how they respond to you. You can't even hear how they talk to you. But there's people like that that we've seen that God has used to bring change in our world. That God is saying, I have something better for you. This morning, the person that I want us to look at is the Apostle Paul. Now, even though I had Apostle Paul, remember that Paul is a person just like us. And so I want to begin by reading Romans chapter 12. And these verses that I read are written by Paul at different times to different people. But this is his heart. So watch this. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, aren't you glad that you're a dear brother and sister that he's trying to? I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. We've already sang about the goodness of God. And we all agree of how many good things God has done for us. He says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now watch this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. How many people in today's society, I mean, if you're in the younger generation, know what transformers are? Yeah, yeah you can. You transform this, you know, it's a monster. No, it's a truck. It's a car, you know, transform. It means to change into a new person, to let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. See, it starts by thinking. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So, so let me just remind you what we've taught about before is early in life, somebody teaches us. It could be your mother, it could be your father, grandmother, whatever. And, and they speak into your life and they teach you, don't put your finger in the plug. Don't make that choice. Don't play in the street. All those little things that we know before, you know, really we get out of kindergarten. And, and what that does is that creates in us a belief system of right and wrong. Everybody with me so far? It's not real hard. That's, that's what we are. We, we, we have a belief system, and out of that belief system will come choices that we make. If you're kind of hard-headed, you go, I can play in the street. 
That choice will lead to an experience, good or bad. Now, that experience that you enter into will then come back on the fact that out of that belief system, it's confirmed or altered. You know, some of you here today would say, I can I can play in the street. I just can't play in the middle of the street. You're always looking to kind of corner it a little bit. But again, out of our belief systems that we've created on what we have chose to do out of that belief system will create an experience. Everybody with me so far? So out of that experience comes a result that will either confirm our belief system or alter it. So so what happens is when we're saying, God, I I want you to transform my life, and and we begin to get into the Word of God so that the Word of God changes our thinking. Come on now. If you come to know God early in your life, most people would know that, that the right way is to walk in love. But as soon as somebody does you wrong, oh, it's go time. So all of a sudden, your belief system says they should treat me right. Because we judge other people by their actions. We judge ourselves by our motives. And what happens is then somebody does, well, my belief system, I'm going to make a choice because they shouldn't have done me that wrong or that way. So out of that belief system comes a choice to do something. And then I experience it. And either I come back to my belief system and say, ooh, I was wrong. I knew not to do that. Or we come back to our belief system and says, everything that I believed in is not right. And, and, and then we begin again our belief system, choices, experiences. So here is Paul and he, he gets to a point in his life where he says, hey, 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 let God change your thinking. Then you'll know God's will for your life. So, so let me ask you, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, how in the world could he get to the point in his life where he could say, let God transform you into a new person? So, so watch this. Stick with me. Stay off Facebook. Put down your phones for a few minutes. And, and go with me how Paul, when we talk about destiny, and how watch how Paul's life evolves by letting God work in his life. That's pretty amazing. If you know Paul's life, or just in the book of Acts, let's, let's talk about that for a few minutes. Acts chapter 7, there's a man named Stephen, which is a, really a follower of Jesus Christ. This is right after Jesus has been crucified. He's been resurrected and he's ascended to heaven. So the believers are enjoying freedom. They're telling people, you know, even if they're brought before the Sanhedrin, they're saying, hey, Peter, you're the one that crucified him. I mean, they're experiencing freedom. Until this point, when Stephen, a man of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, begins to tell the crowd that is becoming angry at what he believes, Stephen begins to speak the truth to him. It says, if you read that, I'm, I'm telling you, it, it, it's almost like these people become like animals. They become irritated. They become gnashing their teeth and whining. And, until it, it reaches the crescendo that where they start throwing rocks and actually kill Stephen. Now, now, watch this. The people that were, you know, winding up with a rock to kill Stephen, it says that they would take off their coats and they were laying him at the feet of a young man. 
really, his name is Saul, but we know him as Paul later. This guy's right there watching and giving approval to Stephen being stoned. This is who, this is who Paul is. Now, again, we're talking about evolving to the point of letting God do something in your life. You might not be at the place where you're wanting Christians to be stoned. Hopefully not. And all of us Christians said, Amen. Then in chapter 8, because of that stoning, it doesn't take much for the disciples and the believers to begin to scatter. Boom! I mean, they're out of there. And in chapter 8, it says, watch this. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul, now watch this, this is where he's at. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in prison. Now remember, if mom and dad go to prison, what about the children? He don't care. Now, I want you to see this, because how does Paul later get to what we know him as? Because I want us to see that we're, we have a destiny by design that God has created us for, and at the place you're in right now, you might go, I just can't even imagine getting to that place. Watch Paul. He's dragging people out. of their. He's going house to house. Talk about hunting people. He's hunting people like you that have put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to stop here and ask you, is he a bad person or has he a bad belief system? Because we'd all be easy to go, he's a bad person. And therefore gives us a legitimate reason you know, let's go. And what's kind of eye-opening is we look back on ourselves and go, uh-oh, I hope I have not created a faulty belief system because I don't know the Word of God. I just heard what somebody told me. You know, like Pastor, like it says in the Bible, early to bed, early to rise. Makes a man healthy, wealthy, and that's not in the Bible. I think I've shared it before. One time I was at a funeral, and I, and I didn't know that they were all unbelievers, apparently. The place was full, and I, I made a, a, a kind of a lighthearted comment about how people don't know the Bible, like the Lord's Prayer. Now lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord. And nobody laughed. They're like, isn't that the Lord's Prayer? Gwen says, you know, she was in the audience and she goes, oh no, it's going to be a long message. So, so here's Paul. And he is, he is believing that what he's doing is right, killing Christians. And then in chapter 9 of Acts, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. 
So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any of the followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them both men and women back to Jerusalem in chains. So so just to kind of summarize, he's going to go on a journey to a place called Damascus to get the Christians that he has found, hunted, he's a Christian hunter, and bring them back in chains. You know, he's Paul of Tarsus. I kind of see him as tarnished to this point in his reputation of what we think of him. And see, a lot of people that don't realize that he's like us, and a lot of times, here, here he is, and he's doing everything that he think is, thinks is God's anointed. These Christians are just a sect. They're just out there, they're doing all that. Because he's going on a lot of hearsay. Now, now watch this. He's on his way to Damascus, and we know it as a Damascus experience. Really, the light was turned on, literally. Boom! Jesus appears to him and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And the story is, he falls down, he's blinded. I mean, it is a revelation that a lot of people don't get that experience. And what happens is he gets up and he goes to Damascus. He's blind, as they say, is a bad. And he's in this house. And Anais comes and prays for him. And the scales comes off his eyes. He's baptized, we believe, filled with the Holy Spirit. And now there's a transformation process that is going to go on. The Bible says that he goes to the desert and begins to read over the word of God. And all of a sudden, with a new light, all of a sudden, this Jesus, what he thinks as a kook, and you know people as well as I do, that go, you know, I don't know if Jesus really was the Son of God. You, you can always tell them, C.S. Lewis said, either he's a liar, lunatic, or he's Lord, because he did say that he was the Son of God. We believe him as Lord. He's not just a good teacher, just not a good man. And all of a sudden, he begins to experience who Jesus is. Not God of the Old Testament, someone that you know had a covenant with believers, but, but a, a God that says, I love you so much that I want to have a relationship with you. That, that is just mind-boggling for Paul. He, he writes later, after this transformation, like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we, we've said so many times, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Jesus Christ so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. A masterpiece? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Doesn't that sound like a different instrument playing a different tune than what he was in Acts chapter 8 when he's trying to kill Christians? What has happened? How in the world can somebody go from just a, I'm just going to kind of get in the shallow end of the pool, you know, and I'm not really going to, 
to say, man, I, I'm going to give all in. Sell out totally to Jesus Christ. How, how did someone do that? Paul says it later in another book to another group of people. Really, Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 says, watch this. This is where he comes to in his life. How, you know my pedigree. A legitimate birth, circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite from the elite tribe of Benjamin, a strict and devout adherent to God's law, a fiery defender of the purity of my religion, even to the point of persecuting the church, a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law book, the very credentials these people are waving around as something special, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Everything I used to be and take credit for, I'm throwing out because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege, listen, of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog done. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by Him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of all these rules when I could get to the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. Now, I want you to understand, Paul is saying no one else is out there going to come and save you. Jesus has already done it. No other plan B, nobody else is going to come and save you. This life is yours 100%, your responsibility. And here's the good news. God's love has set us up for victory in our life. We're overcomers. I believe when I read that, Paul would come to a place of being transformed from a Christian killer, hunter, to a man of God because he consistently and continually experienced the presence of God in his life. I, I, I thought about this so many times this week in my own life, and I kind of shared it a little bit this morning in our Christian education time. To, to continually realize to be in God's presence take, takes work on our part. And, and probably one of the main reasons we don't is because we don't leave a lot of margin in our life. We don't have a lot of free time, do we? And if we do, we, we fill it with, and, and, and again, listen to me. When you have a busy life, a lot of times it feels good to disengage your mind. For me, it is like to watch a movie or maybe to some of you playing video games or whatever it is. I think Pauline does that a lot, video games. <laughs> Elderly lady in our church. It is cool. She called, are you going to play StarCraft tonight, John? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But we get so much in our life of all this stuff that is just, and then, then we, we disengage by being brain dead. You know what I mean? Just, oh, yeah. Wow. That's great. Don't have to think. 
it's going to take an effort on our part to, to be in the presence of God. It's going to take time to, to be by ourselves and allow ourselves to be by ourselves. Because you know that the greatest commandment is love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. And a lot of people don't love themselves. That's why they don't love their neighbor too good. So a lot of times when you get by yourself, you go, I, I don't like to be by myself. Why? I don't like myself. I'm not a real good conversationalist to myself. So Paul says this. When, when you get to that place where you go, I, I know I need to be in the presence of God. I know that I need to spend time. I'm not just talking about, you know, the answer to all the Sunday school old answers was Jesus. And then the second was pray and read your Bible. Pray and read your Bible. To, to be in the presence of God can be worshiping God in your car. Hopefully, don't close your eyes, but you know what I mean? Get in your car, drive. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 1. Verse, Ever since I've heard that you guys came to know God, he says, I've been praying that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know God better. See, well, when you get that revelation of who God is, all of a sudden, oh, I want to know him more. Then he goes on to say, I pray that your eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope. In other words, your eyes light up and you know the hope, the destiny that he has for you. That you might know the hope to which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now watch this. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm. So, so if you summarize that, summarize that, he says, I, I've been praying that you like know God better. Now, and, and another thing is that you would know that he has designed you with a destiny, and that also that he's equipped you with the power, with the Holy Spirit to do the destiny that he's called you to. This morning can be a new day for you. Which let me interpret it in the context we're talking about. A new belief system. That all of a sudden now those things that you used to believe about even yourself and what God is going to do. Well, God don't care for me. He don't ever do. No, no. Now it's a new day and you say, God, I look long and expect for you every day. That might be him right there. See, we know that when we get into conflict with people, the Bible says we don't war against flesh and blood, but we war against the enemy. So if God is telling us through his word that we war against, we don't war against flesh and blood, but Flesh and blood can be used by the enemy. We know that God can use flesh and blood. That's why we're supposed to love and walk with love for one another. So watch this. Is Out of the new belief system, we make choices and then experiences that confirm what God said in our life. If you've got a pen and paper, I'm just going to give you kind of some takeaways this morning. Number one is don't just be you. Be you with Jesus. Now, if you've been in church, you might go, that's cute. Or if you're Brianna. But, but don't just be you. Be you with Jesus. J-E-S. Anyway, you got it. 
Ephesians chapter 2 says this, but because of his great love for us. For us? Yeah. God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgression. You might be dead in your transgression right this morning. But God is rich in his mercy. He's made us alive with Christ even when we're dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. Now, now repeat this after me. I'm going to say it one time, then I want everybody to repeat it. It's your decisions, not your conditions, that determine your destiny. Say it again. It's your decisions, not your conditions, that determine your destiny. Think about it. To get up every morning and make the choice is called responsibility. It's not my condition. Let me tell you, if I lived... Like a rich man, it, like that guy over there, my con- it's not your conditions, it's your decisions. And out of that responsibility will come maturity. Again, belief system, choices, experiences. Write this down. Number two, you <laughs> be the new you. I got an ooh out of that. Paul knew it, it's work. You, you, you didn't walk in love last night before you went to bed. And if you're not careful, out of that experience, it's going to be hard to walk in love the next day. Especially if it's your wife or your husband or your boss. If you're not careful, you're beginning out of that choice of not walking in love to have that bad experience that'll come back. We can't be nice to people. Be the new you. Have you noticed the older you get, the quieter you become? Life has a way of humbling us. It's amazing how you realize sometimes the older you get, how much time you've wasted on all that stuff. Do you understand how important it is that Paul said it this way? This is the guy that used to hunt Christians. Now has had a transformation and probably one of the most important, all of it's important, but let me tell you, one important passage that he wrote, and you guys know it, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, watch this. If I speak with the tongues of men of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. In other words, you could be super spiritual. But if you don't have love, you're nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, boy, I'm a giver. And I give my body over to hardships that I may boast. I become a martyr. He says this, but do not have love. I gain nothing. It's all nil and void. Do you see this guy has a total transformation of his identity? Can I give you this? The gift of focused priorities is so important. Uh, Walking in love is not easy. 
But when you realize that you starve your distractions and feed your focus, it becomes so much easier. When you, when you constantly say, okay, I'm not going to walk out of love. You know you have every temptation to do exactly what you said you're not going to do. You begin to develop a belief system if you continually let yourself fall into that. If you have authority, which then you think legalizes you to talk down to the people that are you know, under you, it becomes a belief system. Paul is saying you're nothing. That The gifts that God has given you, first of all, realize this. Your gifts, your giftings are perfect just for you. Sometimes people get into the mindset of, I, I don't know if I can even do what I believe God's going to. Again, you need God. If you can do it on your own, chances are it's not God. You don't need faith. You can do it on your own. If, if the, it's not, but let's say you're going to dig a ditch out here 10 feet long and 3 feet deep and so forth, and I handed you that bass guitar. Go get it. Or I handed you a shovel. Of course, the shovel's going to be a lot easier than the guitar. God's giftings are perfect for you. Your giftings are secondary to you loving God and loving others. See, a lot of times we put our giftings in front of other people. I think another thing is your giftings are given to you to serve other people. That's your destiny. Destiny by design. Do you know if there wasn't people in my life, I would have every one of the fruit of the Spirit working in my life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I'd be the poster boy if it weren't for people. Let me give you the third one. Here it is. As you're beginning to see a new belief system develop that God has a purpose in your life, the third one is celebrate the new you in Christ. That you're righteous. This is probably one of the hardest things for believers to do. To say, I am the righteousness in Christ Jesus. That I am righteous. You could have messed up last night. This week, last month. But to understand that we're, we walk in forgiveness. We don't stay in the disobedience. Do, do you remember how, I'll just say it this way. If you remember a passage in the scripture where Peter at the end, before Jesus ascends into heaven in John chapter 20, I believe it is. And and Peter, you know, is Jesus is talking to him, and he he's he's he he says, "Well, what about him?" Talking about John, and Jesus goes, "What about him? If I want him to stay alive until I come back, what's that to you? You follow me. You know." One of the ways that we celebrate together as a body of believers is to come to the chapel during this time period and we celebrate the purpose that God has put individually in all of us 
as well as us as a church. And, and I think that a lot of times we don't get that. Now, now, to get up in the morning and to make it to church is hard, but it's a lot easier than actually getting up every day and doing what we're talking about. And how I know that is because it was hard for Paul. It was hard for the rest of the disciples. Let me say this kind of as a challenge to you. Commit to not comparing yourself to others and their giftedness, but become the best your God has created you to be. What is that? Because you'll not always be motivated. That's why it's important for you to be disciplined. There's some days in your life that you'll get up and you're not going to be motivated by Pastor John. Or sing that song one more time, you know. I can do it all until Monday morning when I wake up. It takes discipline. I read a story entitled Little Annie. And it says that early on in her life, people considered her hopelessly insane. As a young girl, she was kept in a cage on the lowest level of a Boston, Boston asylum. The doctors saw no hope for her, so she was confined to the damp, dark basement. Here she lived in a world with little light and even less hope. Little Annie was like the unpredictable animal. She was at times she would be violently she would violently attack anyone who came near her. In other moments she existed in kind of a a foggy state and was seemingly unaware of anyone's presence. Into the dark dungeon of little Annie's world came an elderly nurse. The nurse had a special compassion for this hopeless cause. And she began to eat her lunch just outside of Annie's cage. The child gave no indication that she even noticed the elderly woman. One day the nurse left some brownies just outside of little Annie's cage. The girl didn't seem to care. The nurse left them for the girl anyway. And on her return, the brownies were gone. This became a regular appointment for these two women. Each week, the nurse brought brownies for little Annie. They began to eat lunch together, and the hopeless cause began to talk to the nurse. The doctors began to notice a change in the young girl, and soon she was moved to the main floor. She began to show great improvement, and after several years of treatment, they felt she was well enough to return to her home. But this hopeless cause decided to stay at the asylum and help others who were without hope as she had been. It was little Annie who would become later known as Ann Sullivan who would be called the miracle worker that helped Helen Keller. You won't always be motivated. That's why it's important for you to become disciplined that nobody can talk you out of your belief system that the Word of God is true for your life. This morning,
to kind of give another illustration that is powerful of who you are is to take the Lord's Supper. And that is the covenant between the believer and God that says, do these things that you'll remember what I've done for you. As the ushers get ready, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. They're going to lead us in a worship time just for a few minutes before we're dismissed. And then we'll dismiss you. But this morning, as a chance to respond to what's going on in your heart, listen to the words of these songs. And I've asked Lisa to end by singing, This is the day. So we're going to confess that out of our mouth, that God has a plan for us. This morning, you can stay seated, but would you just worship as we sing these songs?
this morning, would you stand with me? I want Lisa to sing this next song, and I want you to sing it. You might say, well, Pastor, I'm not a real good singer, but I want you to become a real good confessor and to sing these words and say them just loud enough. You can sing them loud like me. I throw my head back when I sing. But if you don't want to sing loud, at least allow your ear to hear what you're saying out of your mouth. I'm not going to go on what somebody's spoken over me if it don't line up with the Word of God. God has a purpose for me. It's a good plan. Good purpose. He loves me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This this morning as we take the Lord's Supper, I've asked Sarah if if she would pray over the bread that we're going to take in a few seconds and Daniel to pray over the cup that we're going to take the, the, the blood that is represented the juice of Jesus Christ and the bread that represents the body of Jesus Christ. The reason this morning we're going to do something a little bit different and let Sarah and, and Daniel, if I could give you, you know, a chance to hear their testimonies. So many people have testimonies, but I knew that they were going to be on the platform and look how they're standing together. Boy, talk about smooth transition. But, but, but Sarah will talk you all day about the goodness of God and just how she's experiencing right now. And so will Daniel. Daniel led worship a few, uh, I believe a few weeks ago, and, and he said, just a few years ago, I didn't even know English. I, he's from Brazil. And God has put him, so, God has blessed him. So this morning, I, I just asked two people that, I, I know there's so many of us, but two people that have experienced we're just going to pray together over the, the bread and the cup. And I want them to pray individually as we go into that. But this morning, what we're doing is, again, we're purposely reminding ourselves, what if that happens? What if that? I'm in covenant with God. You might be going through financial crisis in your life right now. A relationship problem in your life with somebody. Maybe it's your wife, your husband. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a healing that needs to take place in your family. Th- this is what we're doing. We're getting out. You can do this at home. This does not happen just at church or a Catholic church with a steeple and oh, no, come on now. This is a personal thing between you and God, and that's what we're doing. We're doing it together as a family of believers, reminding us what Jesus did for us. So this morning, before we take the bread together, Sarah, would you pray? the reason we're here today. Your body broken for us, Lord, is the reason we're here today. Is the reason that we have all that we have. Yes, God. The only reason I'm standing here, Lord, is because of the sacrifice that your son, Jesus Christ, made for me on the cross. Yes, God. Lord, let me never forget, let none of us ever forget what you did just so we could be with you for eternity, Lord. As we do this and we eat this bread, let us remember that it was your body that was broken for our sins, Lord. And that because of your grace and mercy, we can stand here free from any chain, from any fear, from any doubt, from any worry. Lord, we can have contentment, we can have peace, we can have joy. Knowing that because of your body that was broken for us, Lord, we can live in eternity in heaven with our Father. Amen. Amen. Let's take the bread together. Thank you, Jesus. Daniel, would you pray now over the cup of the goodness of God? Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. 
Thank you because you gave your life for us. You took everything for us. Thank you because through your sacrifice we are healed. Yes, God. We are blessed. Thank you, Jesus. Because we can get in your presence with freedom. I ask you, God, now give us strength, give us faith, give us a new mind. Why we take the choice that represents your blood, Jesus, heal our bodies, make us new, God. We ask you, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's take the cup together. You just experienced the answer. If God is on our side, who can be against us? Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Why? Because he is with us. This morning, when the enemy comes against you and who you are, this morning, you can say, God is my God, and I'm in agreement with him. He's my partner. Everything that God has belongs to me. And everything that I have, even though it's not much, belongs to God. It's not a fair trade, but he's a good God. This morning, I'm going to have Gwen come and close out the service. And before you leave this place, we're going to sing that song, This is the Day. And I want you to confess it with all that you're made of, everything. This is a new day. This is the day. Gwen, will you come? Go ahead and do the announcements and the offering. And then we're going to sing that real quick.